Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. Well, the novel coronavirus that causes COVID-19 has quickly just taken over our lives. As this global pandemic worsens, lockdowns across states and nations have gone into effect while hospitals in harder hit areas remain in a state of crisis. And as we deal with the day-to-day realities of this worldwide disease, many of us are simply waiting for the pandemic to end. But there's a worrying possibility, maybe it's more of a reality for some of us, that the present crisis, COVID-19, might never go away. That's a very real chance that the coronavirus could become endemic in the human population, much like influenza. So I brought in Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello, Jenna. Good to see you again. So nice to be with you again. Because I do think we need to be talking about the reality of the long run now. It's something that many people didn't want to do in the beginning days of this. Nobody wanted to say, oh, it's you know a few months, a year, uh, 18 months. Uh, we wouldn't even entertain that. Why are people willing to do it now? Yeah, I think, you know, the data are coming out that suggest that, that we are in this for the long run and our world has been transformed. Even when a vaccine comes, our world has been radically transformed and we aren't going to go back to the way that it used to be. So, you know, I use travel as one of the, the most extreme, the most um, common and the one that many adults are feeling is the lack of being able to be with loved ones, especially our older our older people. And given that this circumstance may not change, do you think it's time to reevaluate the living quarters, the spaces, the way that we've imagined our lives? Because if it's not just a short-term quarantine, this is not just a short-term answer for them. Absolutely. And I do think this is a, a uniquely... American issue where, you know, we have our loved ones living in a separate space and we go and we visit them periodically and then we have very separate lives. Whereas most places throughout the world, lives are much more intertwined with Mm. our elders and our extended family and they are a part of what, you know, we think of now as your quarantine. And so it may be that we start choosing to structure our lives so that our extended family becomes a more regular part of, you know, whether that's actually living with your extended family um, or figuring out ways that you can remain safe while still having contact with extended family and loved ones. I have talked with many people about um, the necessity in many ways of expanding their pods to other people that they believe are quarantining safely, to groups of people that do outdoor events together, Um, Talk to me about some of the creative ways that you're hearing that people are coping with this. Both of those things are great examples. So you want to find other people, whether that is your loved ones or friends, that have similar standards to you for your level of safety. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as many of us are sort of finding out, Um, There's a lot of variability in terms of what certain people feel is acceptable or safe versus other people. So you have to find a group of people that sort of share those common, um, you know, ideas about that. Being out of doors, that's a wonderful way. Um, Actually, just somebody at our clinic uh, where I work suggested a socially distanced bike ride. So, you know, we're just going to get together and we're just going to ride bikes socially distanced. Those sorts of things. Meeting in your driveway, 
Mm -hmm. uh, I've done this many times, having porch dinners, those sorts of things. But then also trying to have more meaningful conversations, even if it is over Zoom, or even if you're now writing letters or kind of more old-fashioned ways of connecting. Think about the quality of your connections, not just the quantity of your connections. Oh, Jenna, that's one of the most brilliant things you've ever said. Because if we have to do it this way, don't exactly. we want it to actually have the kind of emotional current that actually is going to linger with us for a little while? That's exactly right. Yeah. We, we have fewer opportunities to connect. And when that connection, when we see how precious it is, we really want to make the most out of it. And so really being thoughtful about if you're going to have a conversation, like uh, my best friend lives in New Jersey and we are having um, happy hours, Zoom happy hours once a week, and I'm really being intentional about what do I want to know about this woman that I've known for almost 30 years of my life that I've never asked her before. Mm, beautiful. Um, yeah. So really think about the quality of your connections. I also just have uh, had privy to the report on how public schools are attempting to open in Oregon. And similar to what we were just talking about, that nothing is going to be the same. Um, there is going to be one day on, one day off. Um, things will close rapidly if there's a, a spike in things. And so I, I wanted you to try to give some advice for how parents can prepare young people for the reality that even their school year is going to be vastly different. I mean, because, you know, they kind of had a spring break that was a little early and people used it a little bit as a way to, but now they're going to have to learn how to learn differently. I think one of the hardest things for parents is to see their children struggling. Yeah. And so what often happens is, it's very understandable, what, but what happens is, parents don't allow their kids to struggle. They try and do all of this stuff to pretend like their kid isn't feeling anxious or overwhelmed. So what I would say for first thing for parents, give your kids the space to feel anxious or overwhelmed or scared because this is very, very new for them. Mm -hmm. And as I said at the beginning, no human likes ambiguity. It's really difficult for us. Evolutionarily, we are meant to like be able to predict things, especially little humans don't like <laughs> ambiguity. And so allow your kid to act, understand that your kid might be acting out in various ways because they're anxious. Oh. And then talk to them about that. And the acting out could look like they're not attending to school at all and they're sort of doing disruptive behaviors. Or it could be the other way. It could be they're being overly conscientious and they're trying to be like overly quote unquote good. You want to really be able to talk with your kids about their feelings. How is this for you? Mm. Gosh, I can imagine it must be really different for you not getting to see your friends can you tell me what that's like for you? And I, I love, you know, some of the creativity that I'm seeing come out of some families saying, we're going to be ready with sort of homeschooling options and, 
emotional learning on the days when things get pulled out from underneath us, they're starting to look at this in a completely different light, which is just very exciting to me that, that learning might actually be expanded to include other skills. Right. And that's what I was saying with disruption comes the possibility for transformation. Like, wouldn't that be amazing if one of the things we started talking to our kids about is not just what did you learn at school, but how was it for you today? What were your mm -hmm. feelings being able to teach some of that emotional intelligence? I know that we have given people sort of the, the grounding skills for um, the short term, the, the idea that if you can learn how to be mindful about your thoughts, if you can ground yourself in your body, move your body, sleep well, try to do all those things. But is there any different skill set for accepting reality? Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes that feeling overwhelms one, which is I can't live in this reality that is so much like kind of like a nightmare a little bit. First of all, I do think all of those skills are essential for living, whether that living is, is like the day-to-day -day thing we're focusing on or sort of, you know, our ongoing life. So keep doing all of those things. Yeah. And when we think about acceptance, I think it's really important to be clear what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about, oh, I like how it is. I'm not even talking about I'm okay with how things are. What I mean by acceptance is I mean being able to say it is like this right now. And given that it is like this right now, how would I choose to live my life? Mm. That's what acceptance is. So yeah. it isn't sort of resignation. It's simply an acknowledgement. It's, oh, it is like this right now. And given that it is like this, what would be most meaningful to me? How can I live my life in a way that has integrity and meaning to it? And that's the commitment part of it. So how does commitment change, if at all, in the long run? Commitment's even more important in the long run, right? Because if it's just the short run, you know, you can mess up a few days or a few months and you're all right. But if we're in this for the long run, your life is going to be determined by how you live each day of your life. That's the commitment part of it. Mm -hmm. And so from this perspective, you know, we've talked a lot about values. Values are the thing that will guide you to living a life that is meaningful and has purpose in any context. And that's what I really love about this. It doesn't require a particular like, oh, I like this context or this is easy. My values, for example, around I want to live a life that is in the service of compassion and generosity. I can do that whether I'm quarantined at home or whether I get to be out with all of my friends. And that's the commitment piece. Like, could I be committed to living that life even in these current circumstances. This brings up such a tricky thing, um, Jenna, because I, I really believe that people who are quarantining are doing a real uh, selfless act, an act of generosity to other human beings. And a friend of mine joked that uh, people who've been quarantining since March are the people who always finish the group projects, which, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. If you've been one of those conscientious and respectful people, how do you deal with the decisions by others to flaunt social distancing, to not wear masks, to have a, a cavalier approach about this very, very serious pandemic. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Sheila. It just like sort of sh sent a shiver up my spine because I think when people who are choosing to quarantine 
can notice this is a choice. I could choose to not do this. Lots and lots of people are choosing to not do this. I could choose, but I'm choosing this in the service of my values. I'm, I'm choosing this because this is my way of being loving to my community. This is my way of being generous. This is my way of being kind. When we notice that it's a choice, not that we like it, but it's a, a free choice in the service of what actually matters to us, yeah, I mean, I get irritated when I, you know, see the people at large group gatherings doing what they're doing, but it's sort of, you know, a mild irritation because I'm, I'm really grounded in, yeah, I could choose to do that, mm -hmm. but this is the life that's more meaningful for me. Right. And, and so having a sense of gratitude for the choice that you're making, I think can help with that frustration with other people. I mean, it's I, not perfect. <laughs> I love that. And I think as we go on, we're all going to have to adopt more of that inward focus in terms of how I've chosen to do this rather than the judgment that I see coming yeah. out and the fighting over yeah. what is now a, a political ball rather than a public health issue, which is maddening I, to me. And I'll go back to something you said quite a while ago, Sheila. I remember you saying this and I was really struck by the wisdom of it. You don't know what's going on in the other person's life. When I see people that I'm making judgments about, like, oh, you're not being safe or you're not following the rules or whatever it is, yeah. maybe I don't know that this is the very best that they can do, that this is their way of hanging in there. So to cut people a little bit of slack, to understand you don't know all of the information about their life and that what you can control is how you choose your to live your life. Yeah. I, I really think that was a great piece of advice that you gave and hoping that I and other people can hang on to that. We just don't know. Do you, Jenna, have any um, breakthroughs where you think, oh, this is actually going to be better because of this experience? I definitely do. And I don't want our listeners to think that I'm just here as this Pollyanna, like, oh, this is so amazing. Like, I, I want people well, to know. I'm on the other side of the microphone, so whatever, yeah. I'm always going to balance you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever people think, like, uh, this, is, this is hard. This is really hard for me, and it's hard for everybody I know. And I do think there are some really, really positive things that can come out of this. And I think have come out of this. I think many of us have reconnected with a sense of what can I do for my community mm. rather than simply what can I do for myself. I love that. Yeah, we have a sense of that agency. I also think that for many of us, myself included, this has really helped clarify and remind us what actually is important. Mm. And it's helped us to structure our lives in a way, you know, kind of forced us to get off the treadmill of what our normal life was and helped us choose like, okay, how would we want to structure things in a way that prioritizes what's most important? So one of the, um, I'm watching just psychological trends, statistics going up mm -hmm. and down, and I just am, am super, super worried about the number of young people who are opting for suicide yeah. um, because they sort of lack that that long road of history that shows them that you know things are going to get better. It's not always going to be like this. And I keep coming back to this thing about how do you 
give them hope for the future while at the same time giving them the reality and acceptance piece, which is this is our lives now. I mean, I find that, yeah. tr- that um, tension so difficult, Jenna. Like, I don't know what I would do if I had a seven or eight-year-old who was smart and started asking questions about how long their lives were going to be like this. I think the trap with that is thinking that the answer is about the future, because part of the problem with where we are is we don't have any idea. And especially smart little kids are going to kind of figure that out. Like, well, you don't really know either, Mom. (laughs) Sure, right, exactly. Instead of talking about the future, I think the hope lies in the present. Like, yes, and what is here right now that is really meaningful or that is really important or joyful. Or if you're talking with a little one, you can just use the word good. What's really good about right now? Mm. And helping them notice that even in this moment when so much has changed, with change, there's also like some things that have changed for the good too. And there is some possibility here. Um, So helping them think about the present rather than everything's tied to the future and some hope, I think is, is really important with especially younger kids. So one thing that's changed in our life is that um, before when we were traveling so much, neither of us could imagine having another dog because we were traveling so much and it's already difficult to go with one dog. And (laughs) and now we are trying to get a dog. And what I realized is, oh, the rest of the world is also trying to get a dog. There are no dogs available. (laughs) But we found one. He looks like a bear and his name is Smokey. So he's going to be joining our quarantine in August. Oh, congratulations. I know. And that's actually like, look at that. That's another beautiful thing that has happened. Mm -hmm. I think you know this about me. I am very interested in non-human animals and the care of them. And so I track these things. And it's amazing. Shelters are saying, wow, we have enough foster parents. We don't have more dogs to adopt right now. Like what an amazing thing that humans have been able to say, hey, I have the heart and the capacity to care for another animal right yeah. now. How amazing that. is that? Yeah. I know. Jenna, <laughs> any other final thoughts before we sign off today? I guess two summary ideas here would be acknowledging that our lives have been transformed. Mm. And this is not a temporary thing. Our lives have been radically transformed in a way that in our lifetime has never happened. There's some grieving to be done. But with that transformation also comes possibility. And so maybe the idea isn't so much about instilling hope, but it's about instilling curiosity. Mm. Like, oh, I wonder what the possibility is for right now, given that I don't really know this. This is a new normal. So be curious about how this might also be a meaningful and purpose-filled life for you. I love that. Jenna Lejeune is our doctor here on Beyond Well. If you like the program, please give us a thumbs up where you listen to podcasts and make it a great week. Bye.